Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball, a podcast where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her, watch all of the Disney Animated Canon in order. Fox is a animation fan of some girth. Dan Talon is a media studies nerd who grew up in a cult who thought Disney might destroy him or make him a Satanist. Unfortunately, neither of those things have been proven true with the advent of the dangerous haunted devil music of Phil Collins presented through the medium of 1999's Tarzan. <laughs> yeah, not like 80s high on his own. Everything. Well, high on his own highness, but but uh, definitely soft rock 90s Phil Collins just dagging it up late into the decade. Oof. <laughs> But before we can continue with this tragedy and its farce, we must first summarize the plot in 60 seconds. Fox. Ooh. Oh shit, it's my turn, isn't it? Your time starts now. Ah, uh, some, uh, some people from England get shipwrecked on, I don't know, let's say Africa. That country, Africa. Uh, and they get eaten by a leopard, so their infant child gets adopted by a nearby gorilla, uh, and grows up to be, you'll never see this one coming, Tarzan, the ape man. Uh, uh, after an awkward childhood, Tarzan grows up to make a weird but functional space for himself amongst the gorilla family, but just as he is beginning to stabilize, meets a pair of Extremely colonial explorers uh, who have come to the island to learn about gorillas and or maybe fucking murder them if you're that one guy. Uh, he's a villain. Uh, and uh, and uh, anyway, long story short, uh, Mini Driver is hot and she thinks he's hot. Uh, so they fall in love and nearly don't get together, but they do just in time to save the apes from Brian Blessed. Uh, a happy ending. Okay, that one was a little awkward, but I was badly unprepared. It's true. And, like, as with many of these, especially the ones where you've done them, <laughs> it's the setup and the premise where you've got to describe all the interesting stuff. The actual plot is, in some cases, remarkably paint-by-numbers. Which is fair in this case, though. It's like the, the guts of this movie is just a bunch of really fun action shit. Yeah. And I am down with that. Yeah. Um, like, I did actually cover most of the salient points, just, uh, you know, not with a lot of names and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the next step would be, hey, what did it, what did this movie mean to you? Um, bear in mind, this is 1999. We had at this point met. Oh god, we had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I saw this in a theater. I'm not totally sure. I can't remember. I, I was definitely over my love everything Disney phase. Like, I got bad, burned real bad by Hercules. Um, but I was still, like, generally enthused about this. And if I didn't see it when it was new, I definitely saw it as soon as it, you know, hit video or whatever. Me, I didn't see this movie. This was outside of my experience. I think I may have seen it in passing since we got married with you watching it in the house at some point nice. when you were doing that watch all the disney ones but genuinely i think this is my first time properly watching this movie oh. and anything i've seen before this point is like either chunks of it in analyses or other kind of backgroundy bits none of the plot stood out to me as like oh i know this next beat 
but there are sequences I definitely know I've seen. Uh, the exit of the villain and <laughs> uh, the camp scenes. I know I, I've seen those, but that might just be because I watch animation nerd YouTube. It's true, and in this particular one, you've seen some long uh, video essay. Yeah. Uh, discussing the music of the film, which we'll we'll get into. We're coming for you, Collins. <laughs> I'm also going to revise mine in that I'm I'm pretty sure now I did see it in a cinema because I didn't have a video copy of this. I don't think, uh, or a DVD for a good long time, and I definitely saw it closer to when it came out than to when I got streaming services, which is only a few years ago for us. Yeah. Um, so I must have seen it at the time, and it just didn't make it, like, a huge impression on me. I did like it, uh, and in particular, I find the, the central characters of Jane and Tarzan to be really enjoyable. That They absolutely made this movie. The other detail about this, and my relationship is to it, is, as with Oliver and Company before us, as with The Jungle Book before us, as with Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, I've read the books! Ah, of course you have. I forgot there were books for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, whoops. Uh, it's, it's Edgar S. Burroughs. It's, you know, classic Tricks. pulp era. It's that genre of stuff that was old enough that my parents wouldn't have considered it to be, you know, degenerate pop culture. <laughs> um, and also was made for magazines, so it still had, like, some pulpy flair to it and some, you know, fast-pacedness. And, like, look, I'm not going to get on my chair and go, they defied Edgar Rice Burroughs' original vision. Because... <laughs> They'd have shown him this, and he would have vomited all over his racist, racist shoes. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not too fussed about. I'm not concerned for authorial purity at the the best of times. Yeah, you heard me talk about this. The only time that matters worth a fuck is in like Pocahontas when they were ostensibly talking about real fucking people. It is very much a kind of a demi gloss of those stories, in that it- <laughs> reduced to a stock, thickened and saved for later use. Absolutely condensed down to a degree that would startle you. <laughs> like, there are four Burroughs Tarzan books that spring to my mind. And of those four books, there are sequences and scenes that I can imagine someone getting out of that book and writing it on a whiteboard and saying, we need this in the movie. And broadly speaking, the movie has it all. It has a lot of the Tarzan experience. It has a lot of details about the Tarzan story. And it has those those flavor notes without all of the build-up and all of the arduous writing that gets you there. And incidentally, while jettisoning a bunch of other stuff that we'll get to in the Yikes store. <laughs> right, because I don't know a lot about these books, but I know he eventually does go back to England. And it's, it's uh, somehow more questionable than the early books. Yeah, but that's the big one. So I don't really have a double take, do you? <laughs> Uh, I don't think there's anything here that was, like, new to me uh, from from previous viewings, just because it's still quite fresh in my mind. We are getting to the point where the double take is going to have to start being retired, just because... (laughs) It has not been long enough. Yeah, we didn't see this as a (laughs) child, we just saw this a couple of years ago. I mean, that's kind of now already, like, this is... We've passed half our lives ago style of thing. It's true, and for a lot of these movies going forward, they're going to be ones for whom I have no... Uh, association even for the time (laughs) there is going to be one i know that much but there are like i'm not going to have an opinion on brother bear from back then okay well anyway uh it it could even just be anything that you've noticed since your initial viewing of this film which i guess in the spirit of that uh i'm even angrier at the opening 
number of this movie <laughs> than I ever have been. It's, every time I watch it, it's a little bit worse. Like I said, we're coming for you, Phil Collins. Yeah. Oh, it, it's entirely his fault. Well, okay, no, it's... Mm, you're gonna... You're, Fox? Okay, it's almost entirely Phil Collins' yeah. fault. Wait until we get there. You're gonna... You're gonna be mad. I'm sure I can blame it on him. But before we can get to the animation and making, we must first progress through the land beyond the Yikes door. There is a bit of Yikes to investigate this time. Yes. There is also... <sighs> the official title of the Yikes door <laughs> section is Product of Its Time. And I want to say that as with my comparison to syrupy stock and condensing the Tarzan stories, <laughs> this movie does a shockingly good job of not doing a lot of the blatantly racist things in the original Tarzan stories. Now, a lot of characters got jettisoned for that, because in the original Tarzan stories, there were, you know, Africans living in Africa. There were people that Tarzan associated with. Ooh. Who were, you know, black people. Oh. And that was the whole, oh, I've never seen a person like me, horror, was not, I've never seen a human, it's, I've never seen oh. a white person. Oh, no, oh, God, that's so much worse. And that shows up in a bunch of the movies as well. Ugh. One of the other details in the original books that comes out eventually is that the reason he is so excellent a king of the jungle is because he's British nobility, and that there is, like, an inherent rulership quality to being British, and being a, a noble. Uh, he is descended of the blood of kings. Uh, gross. Um, he's the Viscount of Greystoke, which, come on, that's a cool name! I think that's Vicon? Eh, probably. I've I don't know. Someone's gonna crack me now. It's got a Pyquant flavour to it. You're just doing it to hurt me now. The So, yeah... Those books have jam-packed yikes in them, and it would be completely reasonable for a thoughtless constructor to include some of the worst of it and to not excise other implications. Like, the crew of the pirate vessel, or, well, the, the bad crew of, uh, of people who I went, oh, they're pirates, but they're not pirates, they're just sailors. No, sorry, the... The uh, betrayal sailors. Yeah. Yeah, the sailors you hire when you need to betray the people who hired you. Betrayers, yeah. They, um, it would have been completely in keeping with the place in the world to have a bunch of those sailors be black. And they didn't, which means we didn't have the sudden appearance of black people in this as signified by a bunch of sneaky backstabbers. So, you know, kind of good. <laughs> yeah, I will correct you on reasonable. It wouldn't have been reasonable for them to do this you're it right would have been unsurprising <laughs> yeah it would have been something that someone would look at and go that's a, like i can i can add well, diversity sure is Tarzan, all right well also someone could go i could add diversity and variety to the cast if we make some of these sailors black no, and then have the moment afterwards of like oh no what did i just imply and you know they avoid that now at the cost of that is there is one character in this who is a human who is maybe not white and Tarzan's mm. probably a white guy. Yeah, Tarzan is, is God, it's really unfortunate because he, he sure is rocking those dreadlocks. Yep. Um, I wish they had taken the step further to make his parents just a bit racially ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Like, just because they have the trappings of being British people originally, does like, that's not the only culture you could have gotten yeah. 
civilization artifacts from, for, for lack of a better word. And it it would work better if Tarzan wasn't a white guy. There's there's nothing about them that in this movie that requires any detail of them. Yeah, exactly. If he'd been, for example, biracial, uh, then you would have had suddenly a plot of, hey, why is there a black man and a white woman or a white man and a black woman on this boat uh, in a crash situation off the coast of Africa? And then you'd have this whole implied backstory of like, hey, maybe they were driven out for race mixing in this incredibly awkward time. That could have been an interesting detail to add in the background. Yeah, because you absolutely do not need to know. None of Having that go unanswered doesn't affect your enjoyment of this movie in any way. And that's where we get to talk about Tarzan's hair? Yeah, so it's, it's just a... It's unfortunate. Eh, I... This is, I mean, we're in an area again that I'm not comfortable talking about. I don't know to what degree he reads as white or not. But I assume the intent is that, you know, he is a white guy living outside of civilization. Therefore... Dreads is naturally what his hair does. Yeah, and we know, thanks to extensive experiments by a variety of guys doing weed in college, that <laughs> white hair does not default to doing that shape no, formation. It just sort of mats. Yeah, and indeed, there is a distinction between dreadlocks, which is a reasonably naturally occurring pattern of curls that uh, particularly African American people have, and matlocks, which is what happens when white person oh. hair mats together and if you go with one of them to a hairdresser they're like this is fine standard rates and you go to the other and like i need to clean your hair um <laughs> we'll start by shaving can i start by shaving yeah it's yeah. it's um so they're different things huh they That's, really are different well, things maybe they're trying to illustrate the latter in this movie then but that wouldn't be hot so and also didn't. when i say that these are different things bear in mind i am also saying this with the like asterisk caveat of for enough of the population for it to be a rule. Like, there are absolutely some white people out there who do get natural dreadlocks, I'm sure, but I have no confidence for any given white guy trying to rock dreads that he's actually getting dreads. Yeah, well, if nothing else, I mean, uh, ethnicity is complicated, and genes do shit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's... It's hard to know exactly how much yikes we're looking at. It's definitely a little bit. It's a thoughtless character designer thing, and I can understand it. I can understand there being like a meeting where someone's like, but it looks really good. It lets us do expressive things with his face. It lets us do, it lets us maintain this look. Can we keep it? And someone going, eh, it's probably not so bad. And then when the end product gets looked at, someone who isn't in that meeting goes, no, this looks bad. <laughs> I wouldn't have imagined that it that it got that much scrutiny. I think yeah. it was just, how do we design a cool looking Tarzan character? And he does look cool. And he does, he looks super cool. If taking out any, if we assume there is no racial element, he is a fucking awesome Tarzan design. Yeah. Which is why I just wish he'd been a bit not white. Mm-hmm. And it's a minor yikes, but it is there. Um, treating Africa like a great big unoccupied... <laughs> one big empty uh, jungle. Yeah, one, and, and single biome jungle, like rhinos live on the savannah they don't live in the jungle they're an african animal but the thing is the northern parts of africa are so far away from the jungly parts of africa you could jam in australia between them wait were there rhinos in this yeah 
did not notice rhinos. I actually really like the use of the rhino on point because Tarzan sees a rhino using its horn to scrape oh, a tree. Oh, that's right, yeah. And yeah. he's like, oh, tool usage. Like, it's not a matter of I, a human, will enter this environment and become the expert. He observes the animals around him, sees how they do things, and is like, okay, can what can I do within my space for that? That's really cool. Mm. I like the I like the fact that he learns from the jungle, he doesn't teach the jungle. That's great. It's true, yeah, and he's not shown as, as you know, uh, it, this is not something that the other apes then take from him. Yeah. It's, it's not like, you know, oh, but now he's introduced this, and now we're excited about this, this is a better way of doing things. None of that bullshit. He's just keeping up. Yeah. By adapting himself, and that's that's cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, you can also point to the fact that he is, to any given human, terrifying, but to the apes... He's the wuss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's what I had for the Yikes door, largely. Just his hair and, like, Africa's bigger than that. Like, rhinos don't belong in the jungle. uh... You've pretty much covered it. And the fact that Jane and the Professor are, I mean, they exist as uh, colonialism uh, imagery. Like, they themselves are... are pretty decent people yeah. in this. We don't get any shades of of treating other cultures like they don't exist or, you know, no gross-ass discussions of natives or anything mm-hmm. like that. We only get a pair of, uh, like, biologists. They are interested in the animals. And but they are, benev- they are the benevolent um, component of col- colonialism. Right, right. So I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm saying that even as the uh, benevolent representatives of of that oeuvre, they're still very much of that oeuvre. So just having them here at all is is enough yeah. to sort of sharply draw breath. Um, I, as you say, I think they did a lot to offset that, <laughs> uh, particularly in the fact that they are both like ridiculously out of their depth and like mm-hmm. comically bumbling. Until they get a hand from people who know what they're doing. And Clayton is no better. He's supposed to be like a competent, you know, wilderness man or whatever. But he's just a big loud moron who smashes his way through everything in front of him. Yeah, he he is capable of coercing the world around him through violence. But he isn't actually very aware of what's going on in it. Yeah, yeah. So these portrayals are certainly not uh, favorable. Even the ones who are clearly communicated to be good people are, uh, you know, still a subject of comedy because they expect this place to behave like the place's human shape. And as a corollary to that at the end, it is shown that the way they uh, express their love for this space is by becoming part of it and adhering to how it does things, which is nice and actually yeah. like that's that can be very much seen as a rejection of colonialism. They didn't come here to make this place England. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh once again, Yikesy trappings, I think it's handled pretty well, but I don't have skin in this game. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd be interested to hear the opinions of people who uh, have a closer relationship to what's going on here. But it seems like they did a decent job. And I mean, like, we do have a bit of skin in the game in that we are the ones most likely to see ourselves in the white settler people showing up and going... Well, this is interesting, and I don't want to be an asshole about that, because that's kind of what it is now. Yeah, but, like, I mean, we most likely to see ourselves, but most likely to ever see ourselves represented poorly. Mm. Or, like, you know, when we are the villains, there will always be good guys to offset that. So, with that, 
Want to talk about the animation and making of this movie? I do. Because, like, holy shit, this movie looks so good. This movie is so good looking. Uh, this this is the main thing. This has always been my my main thing about this movie. It just looks really good. And even while the... It doesn't really live up to being a Disney Renaissance film in that the music is absolutely we'll get- what the fucker is. <laughs> but uh, it looks like it belongs here. The animation is gorgeous. The backgrounding is lush and spectacular. Like, I, I wasn't disappointed by Milan. I did say it looked nice. It didn't look cheap like Hercules did. But this looks fucking gorgeous. This looks lavishly spent upon you remember how the Disney Renaissance started, and I mentioned offhandedly in in The Rescuers that this is the first completely computer-generated animated film. Where and when every you say cell... computer-generated, you mean digital ink and paint. Yes. Yeah. Right? So, and, and you remember how the whole xerography era, we were talking about the fascinating developments in technology that allowed them to do things that we now see as, oh, fey, like you know, the xerograph. We will very specifically not say computer-generated, I think, because yeah. that implies there's no hand-drawing. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely not what's going on here. And how in the first Rescuers, there was that conversation about, hey, this is the first time they got to do two colors of line. Uh, yes, yes. So I bring this up because I want to talk to you about a development that maybe lives on par with Xerograph. <laughs> okay, can I I, I... I want to sort of speculate about this first. Yeah, go on. Because I feel like it's got to be something that they would have heavily emphasized in the movie. Yep. Uh, and therefore, I very much suspect it has to do with uh Tarzan's fucking rail grinding through the jungle stuff. Yes. Which is very heavily used and just incredibly cool and a joy to watch. The action in this is really good. So this was the first commercial movie to demonstrate the principles of a new animation software they had that they hadn't named in-house until this movie came out. Ooh. You may have heard the title and not know what it is. It's called Deep Canvas. Deep Canvas is a 3D painting software package mm-hmm. that lets you paint an object and the computer remembers where those strokes are in 3D space. Ah. Allowing you to paint in CG a 3D background. Oh, that. Hang on. Backgrounds. Oh, my. These okay. backgrounds do shifts and angles and rotations and it's because that's a deep canvas background and it is a semi 3d object that they can move you around like they didn't paint the whole thing they didn't paint the backside of every tree kind of thing but they when they when they painted and they pushed in to do the shape of the side of the tree the computer went oh you moved your hand inward as well this curves inwards and i will represent that side and propagating things out so that they were able to render huge complicated jungle backgrounds with the starting skill set of (laughs) i can paint a jungle scene deep canvas was so important that it won a award for being the most important technological development of animation in 2003 four years after this movie this movie is the prototype run for deep canvas tech i understand the treasure planet also does a lot with it and we'll talk more about that then but just as a technological development, Deep Canvas appears to be genuinely uh, a game changer for how this movie gets to look the way it looks. That's also very cool in terms of, uh, like, normally when they roll out the technology for the first time, it's a little shaky. Yeah. 
Like when we saw Crowd for the first time in Hunchback. Yeah, it was kind of dicey. The clockwork in um, Basil. Mouse Detective. Yeah, that was a little ropey. I'm not going to lie. I liked it. But- yeah, it wasn't bad. It was very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Um, but this just, I mean, this looks as good as anything they put in a mature Disney movie. To track uh, a paintbrush in a computer terminology way, remembering that you know the way paint behaves is affected by position and time and other nearby paints. So this software is tracking in a 3D space the time, space, angle, and all that stuff of uh, the painter process. So this is something that only ran on what was in 1999, <laughs> just beastly computers. Sure, sure, yeah. And uh, I can only imagine how hard it would be to paint without resistance right because for this to be in 3d space you've got to be doing it in virtual reality effectively i'm not entirely clear on that interface i have been told it included pressure sensitivity but that could be i don't know Hmm. could be special styluses i don't have access to that information but this was this was a blindingly new technology in 1999 and the industry gold standard in 2003. Unless so, we're talking about painting onto existing 3D modeling. Possibly? I'm not sure. The way they described it seems to indicate it's paint into a 3D object. Like you start with a 2D mm. visual and you get a 3D space. Which, mm. even now, that sounds like witchcraft. It does, yeah. Well, I mean, if anyone could afford it, it'd be fucking Disney. And it also plays into this way that we talk about traditional animation. And this is 1999. This movie, yeah, sure, people go, oh, yeah, they use computers for some bits. But the things that you would use computers for are invisible in the specific, right? Well, as you say, we've been talking about digital ink and paint films quite some time now. Yeah. But, I mean, traditional animation doesn't mean using the same techniques as fucking Snow White all the way down the hill. Yeah. It just means this is not a 3D modeled movie as its as its essence. That it is still ultimately crucially about drawing some pictures and making them go fast. So that's the interesting animation note I had to share. Want to talk about the music? <laughs> I can't put it off any longer. Wait, no, let's talk about voices because uh, there's some excellent voice work going on here. Wowee! Holy crap, there is. Yes. <laughs> Like, I think I mentioned Minnie Driver already. Yes. Um, who is a fucking delight in this. Absolutely. Like, she's perfect. Uh, she has an intense uh, energy that's a really good offset to Tarzan, like, barely speaking and being really uh, uh, physically uh, uh, interrogatory, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Tarzan himself, who I keep wanting to say Brendan Fraser, but he's not. That's it's just George of the Jungle. We <laughs> Uh, it's a guy called Tony Goldwyn. Right, who I've never heard of before, but he does a fantastic job. Um, uh, and combined with the animation, Tarzan is like, he is one hot Disney boy. He is not my type, but he is very, very visually appealing. And the detail with which they thought about his movements and the detail with which they expressed his movements, Mm -hmm. which is another aspect of this movie that feels very, very, uh, you know, no expenses spared. Um, it, cause it takes a lot of fucking work to care this much about how a dude moves. Well, you know, the whole thing with how characters get an animator in this period. Yeah. Yeah. This one was Glenn Keane. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Glenn Keane was the supervising animator for Tarzan. And, uh, bonus trivia- the Tarzan yell was not Tony Goldwyn. No, 
I know who it is, but I can't remember. Did they just get Brian Blessed to do it since he was here? Yeah. Because here's the other thing. Brian Blessed is your fucking villain in this movie. And he's astonishingly underused. Yeah. Like, they don't really have him bellow at all. It's Except so when he's strange. Tarzan. <laughs> yeah. Except when he's Tarzan. Uh, yeah, Mini Driver is Jane Porter. There's that section where she goes on a lengthy explainer of what happened to her. Ah, yes. Which is the longest single shot in the movie and also is a byproduct of Mini Driver improvising a section of the script and <laughs> and gesturing and pointing and like doing a physical bit. And they were like, well, we've got to put that in the movie. So animators <laughs> were pulled off other tasks to just do that one sequence. And in order to get it into the movie in schedule, because, you know, animation is like parking a fucking bus... That whole thing took seven weeks to animate and required 73 feet of film. It is, and, and it's it's the best single shot of the movie. It's really, really fucking funny. It's so good. I don't know about the best, but it is yeah. delightful. It, yeah, it is a delight. And I'm not surprised to hear that the Mini Driver was doing some improv with Jane's dialogue because it's very uh, naturalistic compared to what you generally get out of a Disney yeah. girl. All over the place she was improvising. Um, so was Turk, apparently. And she... Oh, right. Because Turk's like Rosie O'Donnell or something, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Mini, Mini Driver's uh, affect and mannerisms were also put onto Jane Porter. So yeah. there were moments where like, the way she touches her hair and stuff like that, you know, the gestures she does around her face. Um, Not that that's really unusual. Like no. for a long time now, Disney animation has been based on actors emoting while they're doing the voices as well. If they could keep up with Robin Williams, they can keep up with you. <laughs> Our ape crew includes Glenn Close as Carla. That's Glenn Close. Yep. Uh, Kerchak is Lance Henriksen. So you know, terrifying skeletal scarecrow yeah. man. You have obviously Brian Blessed as William Cecil Clayton. And do you remember? When we talked about Shakespearean actors in The Black Cauldron. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, is the elephant. Okay. Nigel Hawthorne, a.k.a. Yes, Ministers. Oh, the professor. Yes, he's the voice of the professor. And uh, let, me, let me talk to you about a dodged bullet. Because Tantor was voiced by a guy called Wayne Knight. I don't know anything about Wayne Knight. That's, um, he's... Norman from Seinfeld and the the traitor guy from Jurassic Park, isn't he? Oh, I don't know. I'll take your word for it. I'll have to look that up because I sound like a ding dong if I'm wrong, but I think that's him. And that voice could definitely be his, thinking about it. He was almost Woody Allen. Ugh. Oh, don't put Woody Allen in your in your kid's movie. Don't do it. But good news, Jeffrey Katzenberg poached him to go make ants. Oh, darn. Oh, oh no. Darn. Now we can't be in our movie. Oh, no. It's like he took 12 minutes away from this movie, too. <laughs> oh, man. Ant sucks. <laughs> Good thing this is not a DreamWorks animated cannonball, or I'd be so much angrier. Now, about the music. I will say, uh, kind of a bummer that we've got Glenn Close and Lance Henriksen being <laughs> our, uh, our cool, you know, guerrilla leaders. Like our, our two community mom and dad characters. Because, like, those probably should have been black voices as well. I'm not sure. Like, yeah, Disney should give more work to black actors in general. On the other hand, hi, you can come and be in our movie if you're apes. Uh, I can also understand that feeling a little yeah. loaded. <laughs> All right, I guess so. I'm just thinking in terms of African. But you're right, you're right. 
like you're don't get me wrong i have i i'm willing to hear arguments from anyone especially black people who want disney money that makes complete sense to me but i can also understand why maybe a casting director looked at that yeah. and went yeah 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 okay so to talk about the music of this movie oh i know i'm sure we can talk about something else <laughs> don't open dead inside no no <laughs> thing is not phil collins hey yeah uh so the music in this movie that was not made by Phil Collins's three or four in, uh, uh, or uh, spoken tracks is by a guy called Mike Mancina, which doesn't mean much to you. And if we've got a Broadway fan listening, they probably just leapt out of their seat, which is Mike Mancina was a music producer who worked on The Lion King and was then composer for sections of The Lion King Broadway. Oh, okay. So, because so, they would have added a lot of music outside of the musical numbers. Yeah, and uh, it turns out that the you know all all the bits of this music that don't involve Phil Collins actually kind of whip. Yeah, it's it's fine. Honestly, I didn't notice a lot of the soundtrack, but that just means I was having a great time. So I assume it was doing its job. Yeah, there is a lot of the music in this, which is <clears throat> perfectly on par with the soulful Hans Zimmer bits of uh, Lion King. I, I'm not going to try and do it with my voice, but you know the bit from... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that bit. Yeah, no, I yeah. Do it. There's that kind of music in here. The music when Clayton dies is similarly drastic. You know, there is a lot of really good workhorse music production in this movie that just happens to not be involved with Phil Collins. Sorry, I got distracted by the Lion King. Um, yeah, except for that bit in the, the fucking opening number, um, which I'm going to blame Phil Collins for, because it's weird and out of place, and it's an, an interstitial during mm. his song opening number, so I think it's probably his fault. Well, let's talk about Phil Collins' song numbers. Yeah. Does this count as, like, the, the main thesis of what we're going to talk about in this episode? I hope so, but I also hope it's going to be quick. Because I can't think of anything worth more uh, biting into than why Phil Collins ruins this movie. Like, I (sighs) enjoy everything about this. Except that the kid elephant is kind of a drag. But, you know, he's not as bad once he's an adult. He grows up! Yeah, yeah, it's not too bad. But the- every fucking Phil Collins number that pipes up in this with like a- cheesy belly out of the 80s kind of synth sound backing to it and just being undeniably identifiably signature phil collinsiness uh-huh it's so bizarre it's hack shit as well it is it i am is. going to describe what is on the screen in the most base ass oh way God. There is no metaphor of meaning. There is no attempt to weave clever constructions. It doesn't rhyme in a lot of places. Mm. And I thought, listening to it this time, and really listening to the words, and checking words on lyric sites, I had a moment where I thought, this reads like a first draft. <laughs> what, what do you mean, Talon? You don't think it's a, a beautiful statement to make the, the central thesis of their big, dramatic, inspiring number Put your faith in what you most believe in. Which is empty pablum. What <laughs> a non-existent sentiment. So, guess what? He largely improvised these, and they're all the first try. 
This is what he got out of the first time he read the script or had a scene described to him. do that, Phil. Well, I mean, Phil clearly can, and Phil got paid for it. Oh, I hate it. But that's the problem with when you're successful enough. It doesn't matter how terrible a job you do. Oh, what if what if the bit where Tarzan first takes Jane above the canopy and, and, you know, takes her from learning about her world into her learning about his world, what if that's the bit where we say, now come with me and enter my world? What if we just fucking spell it out, literally, in the most basic language we could use? Yup. I hate everything about it. And, like, I'm not trying to sit here as someone who doesn't have any strong feelings about Phil Collins and say, Phil Collins makes everything in this movie worse. But what I will say is, the opening section, get that bit on YouTube, or or if you're streaming on Disney+, Plus, get that section, mute your TV, (laughs) and just watch what you see, and ask yourself if there is a single part of that story that you don't understand. No, I mean, no. I mean, we don't need this explained to us. It's very clear what's going on. And Phil Collins is positioned musically as a narrator. And if the narrator is providing nothing to the story that is not there already... Don't have a fucking narrator. Get the fuck rid of them! Narrators suck. If you are of a particularly high-minded tech or sound mixing bent, I would love, love if you could direct me to a link where I could watch a version of Tarzan (laughs) with everything as it is intact but just not having phil collins vocal track oh what is the what's the word for the the music they put on film when they oh, send yes. it to the compote like it's it's you know the uh i'm not going to just sit here and steal sideways as homework on this one i know that the planets is one of them and uh sideways mentions it on the video about why no, no. tarzan's musical is the i don't way mean it is. a specific track or whatever i just mean with that kind of music like it's yeah. the it's called like a fucking composition version or something when it's the like a stock image you say like you know you can use this version for for composition with the watermark and whatever and like it's understood that you need that one to work out what you really want to go there yeah and I know they do it for music too i just can't remember what it's called but i want to see that version of it i want to see it with the you know a uh, classical music that we don't actually have the license for, but this is the mood we're going for. <laughs> I I want that instead, because the Phil Collins stuff sucks. Yeah, I, I don't want to sit here as someone who has made mean jokes about Phil Collins, where it's like, you know, this guy I don't like makes this movie worse. I really do think, without that distaste aside, I think his bits diminish this movie, which otherwise would be one of my favourites of this season. To my utter shock. <laughs> you do love weird supermen who don't fit into normal social order. Yeah. Um, I'll do you one better. I like Phil Collins. I generally <laughs> like his work. I enjoy listening to Another Day in Paradise. <laughs> Please don't hate me. But that doesn't stop this work from being bland and uninspiring. And yeah, absolutely takes away from it. I would say particularly takes away from it. In this film where the character animation is so very good. Yeah. Like, these characters are so expressive. The communication done without words between... Like, I don't know, for some reason in a movie where the two characters start off not being able to speak the same language, uh, communicating expression through eyes and faces and stuff is super important. So it's really well detailed. And uh, they they did a great job on that. And uh, it means that even less than normal 
do we need to have it fucking spelled out for us what these characters are thinking and doing? We're here! We noticed! Indeed. If you wanted to say, hey, I don't want to do a musical because I think it'd be dumb to have Tarzan sing, which, fuck you, you're wrong. But setting that aside, if you do have that decision, this is the Disney movie to have no songs. Yeah. Just use, for example, competing leitmotifs between Jane and Tarzan, where she uses instruments from uh, England and he uses instruments from any fucking where else. And, you know, that's all you need. And... You can use the musical language to communicate because we know you use musical language to communicate in this movie. There are sequences that are great and made better by the music. But now I'm yeah, I'm I'm shouting at people who don't care <laughs> about how to do a better job of something that already made them millions of dollars. <laughs> I I think we can both happily agree that this is a great movie with just shit tier songs. Yeah. Uh the cam number, alright, fine, whatever. In any other Disney movie, that would have been the worst number. Yeah, that and this is the best. That would have a guy like you, but... Uh, and also, if you line up all those comedy songs from those movies in a row, I think this is probably the best one. Yeah, it's it's a good time. I'm not... Eh. I, I don't enjoy scatting at the best of times, but, like, it's just the, you know, the creative use of percussion and all that. It's cool. And, you know, it's shit that, that uh, apes actually do, left mm-hmm. to their own devices. So and they're having fun with it. Cool and interesting. Yeah, yeah. Besides, what's his best competition? Uh, okay, everything Robin Williams sang. <laughs> I think every number in Aladdin, other than Whole New World. And... Oh, and Arabian Nights. And Hakuna Matata is like competition for it. But I, th- I think I'd take this over Hakuna Matata. I, I like Hakuna Matata, but I think it's overrated. Yeah. Because people think of it as being the best song from Lion King, and it's extremely not. Pester us and we'll do a song tier list. Ooh! <gasps> we will! Ooh! But that, I think, runs us... <laughs> Another chance to drag Phil Collins. But that, I think, runs us clean out of our grand thesis of this movie needs less Phil Collins <laughs> and into the waiting weeds of whatever land. Whatever land. Yeah, I was real bad at taking notes this time. I have one. Uh, I've got a few. Uh, so I guess I'll start. Go on. Uh, another thing that made me dislike that opening number was your weird fucking 90s-ass AMV overlays here and there. Like, yeah! I remember I dragged Pocahontas for this, and we haven't seen it since, but for some reason it's back here cheapening up the whole look of this film, which otherwise is is absolutely lush as fuck. Uh, and I don't know why they thought that was a good plan, uh, but Phil Collins was playing at the time, so I guess we can blame that. Um, in <clears throat> A jaguar versus a full-grown adult male silverback gorilla... Oh my god! ...is... Not a fight that any jaguar picks. <laughs> I still or or a leopard. We never could work out which it was, but whichever one of those, either way, its skull is crushed, right? Yeah, the 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 size of big cats in Africa, especially in the jungles, is markedly less than you think. Yes, they are dangerous to you, a pink human, but to the animals that live there, those are not the scary predators. Ooh, this is like the lion versus bear thing where you're like, oh, you know, the, those both seem pretty tough. They might be like evenly matched. Like, no, no. The thing with hands has a real advantage here. You may not realize how much of one. Also, I, yeah, I, I mean, this politely is, you know, people who don't interact with animals like this on a daily basis. But um, lions are bigger than you think. But uh, bears are bigger than lions think. <laughs> 
And I bet gorillas are a lot. Sil- silverback gorillas. Silverback gorillas stand about the same size as me. Really? On their knuckles. You're not a big... Oh, okay. Right. Say. <laughs> like, they, they don't stand up straight. They are big animals. Like, you're not short, but you're not tall. No. You're, you're I, a very average uh, height guy. I am perfectly mediocre. And see also uh, the sequence where Tarzan lands on a hippo. Oh, baby Tarzan, yeah. That's he, the scariest animal in the movie. He's getting <laughs> ripped to shreds like a doll. Uh, that wouldn't be pretty. And, like, elephants avoid water. Where hippos are. <laughs> Everything <laughs> avoids water where hippos are. Yeah. Crocodiles leave if hippos are coming. Yeah. And, uh... Fuck me. I, I'll grant you this. Uh, a, a leopard or a, a jag... Whichever fucking one it is. I guess it's a leopard, right? Jaguars of South America, right? They do make a joke about that in the movie, and I honestly really appreciated mm-hmm. the joke about, hey, we, you know, that shouldn't belong here, but... You know, that's actually, I found that really funny, especially because I'm sitting here at first going, how does this child know about South American animals? <laughs> and then as I'm making fun of them, the movie makes fun of me by going, you know, this shithead elephant, you're the shithead elephant. I'm like, oh no, they got me. I, I want to say Jaguars are like, oh, hang on, no. Because they also appear in like Mesoamerican. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure Jaguars. No, that would be South America. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay. I think they're, I think they're on the other continent. I think so. It's probably eleven. Anyway, the point is, solitary cats yeah. are probably bigger than lions because lions are weird pack cats that are, you know, almost dogs. Yep. Um. So we'll give them a little credit over a lion because they're big enough to be hunting on their own most of the time. Still going to die to a gorilla. Yeah. I they... feel like Tarzan's mom gorilla could have taken out one of them. Well, and you know, to continue this, that. It isn't really a jaguar, is it? It's just evil. Nah, it's pretty much like some kind of weird monster cheetah. Yeah, like it killed his parents and then didn't sit there eating them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a weird murder cat. It just, Like it killed both of them, left them uneaten, and then went and hid instead of immediately eating the tiny pink. Look, that's a jelly baby, basically, right? Yeah. Nom, 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 that's gone. <laughs> yeah, so... At the very least, that is hauled up into a tree to save for later. Yeah, it, it exists for that. Like, the, the the jaguar exists to be a force of evil that kills his parents and then that he then saves his parents from. It it makes absolute sense as a narrative device. It's just, it, it it's, it's a problem you run into when you start using real animals for this stuff. <laughs> But this is why it goes in whatever land, because yeah. it facilitates the emotional core of the movie very well, and we're not going to seriously complain about it, because that would be the stuff of shitty YouTube critics. Yeah, Hamlet and Hang Gliders. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ah, uh, I love how thirsty Jane is. <laughs> she fucking wants some. <laughs> it's so awesome. I just... Oh, maybe it's just the whole sort of Disney princess culture of being very innocent and, and, uh, you know, being allowed to want, but only in a chaste, non-sexual kind of way. But she is hot for Tarzan immediately. And it's delightful. This movie has a female masturbation joke. He suggests, do I need to leave you alone with with the blackboard? I don't think that's explicitly a masturbation joke. But it's definitely a a female sex fantasy joke at the, yeah. at the best. Yeah. Yeah. I, ah, God, it's refreshing. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it makes you forgive them for the whirlwind romance. Because, like, it's, it's clearly very, like, physical to start off with. Yep. And that's okay. 
Yep. That'll that'll get you revved. Western depiction of a cabedon. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh no. Hey, uh, speaking of which, same scene, we have our next instance of Chauvet. <laughs> Not a Disney princess, but but also Tarzan shows feet. <laughs> Well, we didn't pull up Aladdin for that, mm. so I don't think Tarzan gets any points. The baboons are treated interchangeably with a <laughs> mandrill. Uh, just, just, a, just one of those like, hey, here's an interesting thing about animals. That blue-faced one, that's a mandrill. The rest of them, they're baboons. I do enjoy that they're horrible monsters, though. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's refreshing to see baboons treated as as screeching beasts who wish to eat your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and subsequently ate pirate face, I'm sure. Um, no animals are dogs in this movie. But Turk kind of is the bros before hoes horse. Yeah, uh, alright, that's kind of true. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't try and kill Jane or nothing. I'm really glad they didn't go down oh, that, yeah. that uh, you know, jealousy, revenge, bullshit arc. Mm-hmm. Just super uncomfortable on that front. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, and, uh, you know, since uh, I don't want to miss another chance to, to, uh, drag Phil Collins, uh, our, uh, our central thesis song also uses the line, let fate decide, <laughs> which is, I'm sure, not intended to frame the leopard and or jaguar. <laughs> it's got a name, I can't remember what it was, but they do explicitly name yeah, it. Yeah, it's like Sabu or something. Sabor, thank you. Um, that, listening to the lyrics of that song... <laughs> It frames Sabor as, like, an agent of fate. Yeah. So it's actually, well, you know, it's a good thing that Tarzan's parents got their faces eaten off <laughs> by a big cat, because it, it brought him and his gorilla mum together, and isn't that nice? Look at fate working in breathtakingly cruel ways. <laughs> it's, I mean, this is just... Just rehashing Phil Collins being shit in this, but she's back boy, in the she's back in the grand like, thesis. No, she's no, turned no, the podcast no, around. I want to hurt him. <laughs> Get him. No, sorry, sorry. I'll be good. I'll be good. Just give me one more whatever land. Uh, when when Kachak dies, uh, we get another slow motion shot when when he's oh yeah, falls. and it's the same weird slow yeah. motion as as we complained about in the Lion King and. Uh, once again, I don't know why we got that in a movie that is otherwise exquisite in its animation. So now I'm kind of wondering, like, is it just that they can't work out how to draw slow motion in animation because you just have to do so many fucking frames? Like, is is it impossible to do without it going, like, wobbly? Is that what we're dealing with? Because it, it's just inexplicable to me that it should look that bad. Or do we just pass it as slow movement? Um, if you don't have some kind of a clock on screen, like a, a falling object to track the mo movement against. Like, I don't, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, does it not look like slow motion if it's animated because there's no actual difference? Yeah. Uh, anyway, they should stop trying to do it at all if it's going to look like this because it looks bad done like this. Mm -hmm. it, it strikes me as an itch, a situation where it is a failure of technique, not a failure of technology. Because good slow motion is well known by 1999. Well, yeah, but only in terms of, of filming it. Yeah. Like, I, mm, there's got to be a reason. Mm. There's no sensible reason to think Disney wouldn't have worked this out by now. Hell, there's no sensible reason to think Disney wouldn't have worked out in The Lion King if it was something that could be worked out. The Lion King also looks fucking magnificent. One of their big challenges is that there's not a lot of people they can look to for examples of doing stuff <laughs> on a technical level much better. I mean, it's not like no one else was doing animation, but... 
That doesn't mean anything they were doing was necessarily applicable to how Disney likes to do things. So. I mean, DreamWorks was over there. And... <laughs> you could always ask DreamWorks for some tips. And the remnants of Don Bluth is over there. Because that's the thing. Don Bluth. Empires can take a hit. Don Bluth couldn't. Weren't they just about to do Swan Princess? No, no, no. Maybe. Uh, maybe they've already done it. I don't know. I... My my timeline on uh, non Disney Western animation is real shaky. Uh huh. We're we're getting close to Shrek. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Shrek is like next year or the year after. Anyway, anyway. Enough of that. Shall we move on into the last great remnant of the Victorian Empire? <laughs> that is <laughs> capitalism. Yeah, the true evil that uh, that Tarzan gets to live his life uh, blissfully disinvolved from. And, uh, you know, so do his new friends now, so they made the right choice. Over, under, on budget versus Mulan. Uh, uh, over, definitely. Yep. Um, how much? How much over? I've been waiting for it to happen. Is this the one that hits $100 million? This is the first Disney movie made <laughs> Finally! To, to cost more than $100 million. I only had to say it like five times before it was true. It cost $130 million. Woo! That's a lot over. That's like, what, 50 million more than our last movie? 40 million more. 40 million. So a good way to look at this is this was one and a half Mulans to make. That's a lot. And don't get me wrong, developing deep canvas was clearly fucking worth it. It's true. Yeah. And I mean, it. like I said, this looks hella expensive. I was not wrong. Mm-hmm. That's the way you get a movie to look this great is you throw more and more money at it. And it's take. Did it go up or down after Mulan? I don't know if it's absolute numbers are up or down, but I suspect this may have been another didn't make as much as they were hoping. I mean, yeah, because they want to make all the money. Well, okay, yes. <laughs> um, if I say it did hit its projected targets. It did, okay. Uh, I would expect as a percentage of budget, it made less than Milan. Let's put it that way. Mm. Now you're asking me to do fractions in my head. <laughs> Oops. Um, well, so what, Mulan, how does its absolute numbers compare? It made 148 million more than Mulan. This made 448 million. All right. This is this made really respectable numbers. Even as a percentage of budget, that might be better. Like that's a good number. That's that's really strong. That's more than um. It's more than a lot. We of haven't movies. had one that good since The Lion King, have we? No. No, I thought so. But do you want to know the secret behind the asterisk? Behind the asterisk. Tarzan was the first Disney movie released in over 35 languages. Wow. And Phil Collins recorded versions of the songs for French, German, Italian, and Spanish. No, don't do it. It'll be better if you don't know what he's saying. Uh Trust me. You don't want to know. I want the German version now. So this movie released in a much bigger market for its initial cinematic release. Okay. But also, it released across from The Phantom Menace. Ooh. Its opening weekend was the same weekend as Phantom Menace. And regardless of what you think about Phantom Menace's quality as a movie, it absolutely kicked the doors in as far as people wanting to see it on opening weekend. Was, yeah, I was going to say, particularly, like, its its financial returns were great one way or another, but in particular, its opening weekend was just was fucking ginormous. Like, yep. Everybody was psyched for there to be a new Star Wars. Anyway, what do you think of the critical reception for this movie? What do you reckon it was like? Uh, mixed. I feel like people would have been impressed by how it looked, but bored with the story, uh, and probably not. They d- wouldn't have dragged Phil Collins nearly as much as they should have. Ah, oh, you have Did so they? little faith. Ah, oh, 
of the critics of the 90s. Are the critics going to please me? Are they going to feel for me? It got a variety of very positive critical responses, and multiple critics mentioned how terrible the music was compared to Lion King. Yeah, get him! <laughs> get him! <laughs> like, I see why that's the comparison, because like, it's not like Elton John didn't bring some Elton John style to the Lion King. Yeah. But at least they had the common sense to not put his version of the songs in the movie in lieu of the characters singing. Yeah. And just, you know, like a fucking musical section from, uh, you know, any given pop movie with a bit of pop music in the soundtrack kind of thing. Yeah. it It's kind of wonderful. Yeah, good on him. This is not going to bode well for Brother Bear, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something we're going to have to talk about next season. Right, because we are finishing here or because we have one left? Because we're finishing here. This is So this is the end of season four of the Disney animated Cannonball. And the end of the Disney Renaissance, I guess. Yeah. Or at least the era where the Disney Renaissance defines what we're talking about. I've seen a lot of people try to argue that the Renaissance concluded with Hercules, and that kind of excludes Mulan, and I like there's no tidy way to cut, cut this cake. It's a blurry ending. It's very clear where it begins, but mm-hmm. much like The Rescuers Down Under is out of place because Disney was still responding to where things clearly needed to go. Um, Hercules is out of place on the other end. Yeah. Because, the, I mean, they had to start foundering it at some point, and this is where it began. And honestly, Tarzan is a much better movie than I would have thought at the end of the Renaissance. Like, if you showed me these movies and and said, hey, this is, wh- which one of these movies do you think marks the end of when it's got good? Like, order them for that way. I would have expected Hercules to be the one that made it made it uh, all kind of bad. Much of the same yeah, way that you yeah. kind of think that De- Rescuers Down Under came before Little Mermaid, but didn't. Yeah, it feels like an 80s Disney movie, mm-hmm. and Little Mermaid feels like a 90s one, but they just occurred at the wrong times. Hey, Fox, what's the next season look like? <laughs> uh, well, season where shit gets weird. Bad, but interesting. Yeah. But bad. Yeah. But pretty, sometimes. (laughs) Frequently bad. (laughs) 